As you probably know, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and one of my all-time favorite Missourians is Mark Twain. You know, the guy who made white suits fashionable long before KFC's Colonel Sanders came around with his secret fried chicken recipe blend of 11 herbs and spices. You also may have heard of a few of his books. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, anyone? But you may not be aware that Mark Twain was a fan of insurance. In fact, he was not just a fan, but an investor in insurance companies too. In October 1874, he gave a speech in Hartford, Connecticut, in honor of Cornelius Walford, a British insurance expert who wrote early insurance treatises like The Insurance Guide and Handbook and The Insurance Cyclopedia. They were not exactly page-turners, but for 1874, what do you expect? Anyway, here's an excerpt of what Twain said in his famous speech from Mr. Walford. And don't worry, I'm not going to do a ridiculous Mark Twain impersonation. Certainly, there is no nobler field for human effort than the insurance line of business, especially accident insurance. Ever since I have been a director at an accident insurance company, I have felt that I am a better man. Life has seemed more precious. Accidents have assumed a kindlier aspect. Distressing special providences have lost half their horror. I look upon a cripple now with affectionate interest as an advertisement. I do not seem to care for poetry anymore. I do not care for politics. Even agriculture does not excite me. But to me now, there is a charm about a railway collision that is unspeakable. There is nothing more beneficent than accident insurance. I have seen an entire family lifted out of poverty and into affluence by the simple boon of a broken leg. I have had people come to me on crutches, with tears in their eyes, to bless this beneficent institution. In all my experience of life, I have seen nothing so incredible as the look that comes into a freshly mutilated man's face when he feels in his vest pocket with his remaining hand and finds his accident ticket all right. And I have seen nothing so sad as the look that came into another splintered customer's face when he found he couldn't collect on a wooden leg. End quote. Uh, the speech goes on and on like that. I don't know about you, but I doubt that Mark Twain would have been on the committee writing the restatement of liability insurance. Of course, Twain had many other popular quotes. Here is one from his autobiography. I am quite sure now that often, very often, in matters concerning religion and politics, a man's reasoning powers are not above the monkeys. Put another way, one simply does not discuss religion or politics in polite company. The more I think about it, though, I believe that Mark Twain's view is a little incomplete. And being that he was an insurance man, I find that a little surprising. There are actually three things, not two, that should never be raised in polite company. Religion, politics, and certificates of insurance. No other insurance-related topic gets people as fired up as certificates of insurance. Business interruption coverage took a strong run at that lately, but I don't think it quite got there. And why do certificates of insurance... Get people hot under the collar. It is probably because although people and businesses rely on the policy information set forth on these certificates, they are loaded with disclaimers indicating that the certificate does not create coverage and the policy must always be checked to verify same. In effect, 
certificates of insurance may not even be worth the paper they are written on. And you don't have to believe me on that. Here's what the New Hampshire Supreme Court said in the Bradley real estate case in 1992. Quote, The certificate is a worthless document. It does no more than certify that insurance existed on the day the certificate was issued. End quote. Ouch. Well, it doesn't get any more definitive than that. By the way, for those keeping score at home, you can find the Bradley real estate case at 609 A. 2nd, 1233. Nevertheless, despite this clear direction from the New Hampshire Supreme Court, are certificates of insurance really worthless? Let's take a closer look. From St. Louis, Missouri, where we all have Nado fever, this is Michael's Insurance Podcast, a podcast where we take a closer look at insurance coverage and bad faith issues. And now a man who has a face perfect for radio, Michael Young. Thank you. Thank you, everyone out there at Insurance Land. So, certificates of insurance. Before examining whether they are truly worthless, it probably helps to understand a little bit better what these certificates are. And for that explanation, I'd like to turn to one of my legal partners at my law firm. Uh, my name is Aline Tiffany. I am a partner with Hepler Broom, and I practice primarily in the areas of commercial construction litigation, commercial premises litigation, and I handle a lot of GL risk transfer matters. Aileen, what is a certificate of insurance? Um, well, the funny answer, of course, is it's a piece of paper. Um, it, it is a document widely used in the insurance world to evidence um, or depict types of coverages that exist, um, generally identifying the insurers that place those coverages and who the insureds are. So the primary purpose of a certificate of insurance is to identify, of course, a named insured and various policies that they have in place. Um, also helps identify the producer or the broker um, who helped write those coverages and then the carriers that um, insure the policies. You know, they'll give you policy numbers and um, policy effective dates, which are very valuable, obviously, when we're making tenders of defense when we're seeking to verify you know, which policies and which insurers insure for a given um, alleged loss. Um, they generally will provide policy limits, um, both you know, on a per occurrence basis, on an aggregate basis. Um, they can provide details like whether a given GL policy, for example, has a limit that applies just to a particular project um, as opposed to an aggregate limit applicable to the entire policy period. So they can give you some very specific valuable details like that. Um, and of course they can cover a number of different policies, you know, among them general liability, auto liability, um, excess and umbrella coverages, work comp and employer's liability, 
Um, and so they do serve a pretty significant um, purpose in that regard. Of course, a named insured often knows all of this information anyway, or at least they should, because after all, it is their policy. Where certificates really come into play is when a person or business wants to confirm that someone else has insurance or wants to verify that he or she qualifies as an additional insured on someone else's policy. Here is Aline again. There's a couple of different things we do in a construction, right, a commercial construction contract, and that we also see a lot in commercial premises arena. And what we're doing is twofold in the insurance end of the contract. Number one, we are requiring that subcontractor to carry specific policies and specific limits. What we're trying to do is to make sure that that subcontractor actually has a general liability policy of a specified limit with specific scopes of coverage, right? We want to make sure that they are insured for the risk that they are taking on so that when, um, if an incident does occur, we want to make sure that they have coverage when they get sued. But the real reason, or I guess the other reason that certificates get asked for, and, and this is really where you get into that question of, is a certificate valuable? Um, and that side of it, Mike, is the side where the contract requires that the subcontractor, right, in, in a construction project, name the upstream parties as additional insureds. So that's the part of the contract that says, hey, Mr. Subcontractor, not only do I want to make sure you've insured yourself for the risk that you're taking on, but I want you to insure me so that in the event we both get sued for an incident that stems from your work, I want you to pay for my defense. So if a certificate of insurance says that a person or business is an additional insured on someone else's policy, why isn't that good enough? I think that on their face, there is a very strong argument to be made in that regard, right? If you've ever looked at, let's just say the Accord certificate, right? The, the um, most common one. There are no less than four different ways that the certificate tells the holder of this piece of paper that it is for information only, that it gives them no rights, that it does not extend coverage. Um, and literally it says things to that effect um, three times on the front and then on the back of it, it says it again, you know, just in case you didn't really clearly read all of the big bold print on the front. Um, so of course that is the argument toward yes, right? The argument that says, yes, it's not worth the, the um, paper it's printed on. In short, only the insurance policy itself can create coverage or make someone an additional insured. Liability policies typically do so with additional insured endorsements. An endorsement can specifically name or schedule another person or business as an additional insured for certain policies, such as certain claims related in some fashion to the named insured's work or products. Or the policy can have a blanket additional insured endorsement, which makes another person a business an additional insured so long as the named insured for example, previously agreed in writing 
in a contract or agreement to make that person or business an additional insured. With either type of endorsement, however, the fact that our certificate of insurance was issued is largely irrelevant. The certificate of insurance itself does not create coverage, and the additional insured endorsements typically do not give effect to the information listed on the certificate. Essentially, the certificate is worthless. If that is the case, why do building contractors, for example, ask for certificates of insurance from their subcontractors? Aline has her thoughts on that. In the construction industry generally, they do rely on the certificate. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, first and foremost, you know, we as attorneys and, and folks that are helping implement risk transfer programs, we always are going to recommend that your best evidence is going to be to secure the actual policy, right? Or at the very least, we want the schedule um, and the declarations page of the policy, and you want the additional insured endorsements. Right, because as as lawyers, I mean, you know, you as a coverage person know better than I do that the devil's in the details of the endorsement, not the certificate. So in a perfect world, every contractor would have an endorsement tracking program where they gather all of the endorsement documentation from all of um, their subcontractors for all of their projects. But that's a huge undertaking, right? You're, and, and it's an undertaking that requires you gather a whole lot of documentation, right? And so there's an expense to that. And then, you know, it also requires a significant level of technical knowledge. So, you know, if you're in, who's going to be in charge of your endorsement tracking program, right? If I am Joe Commercial Contractor, and I, I say one day, you know, I got bitten by a certificate of liability insurance one time. I thought I was an additional insured and I wasn't. I, I'm going to institute a tracking program. The difficulty becomes, where does Joe commercial contractor start, right? He's got to hire someone. Um, and so there's the expense of starting his endorsement tracking team. Maybe he can find that through a broker, right? But there's an expense to that as well. And then whoever is going to be doing that tracking needs to really know some technical detailed information to be able to figure out, you know, whether they have the coverage that they wanted. And, you know, without getting too far in the weeds, you and I both know, right, that might be a little bit easy when you're talking about standard policy forms but it gets a little tricky when you start looking at manuscript endorsements. And so that in my mind is why the industry still largely relies on certificates. It's um, you know, just sort of by necessity. Okay. Let's say a general contractor gets a certificate of insurance that falsely states that he is an additional insured on his subcontractor's liability policy. You know what happens next, right? A claim for bodily injury or property damage is going to inevitably arise, and then the general contractor learns for the first time just how meaningless that certificate he received really was. He should have listened to this podcast, don't you think? Anyway, I am guessing the broker that issued the false certificate might have some explaining to do. I'm still going to look to, you know, who the producer is and probably what jurisdiction I'm in, 
right? Um, Illinois, as I understand it, and I don't do broker liability, but um, you know, Illinois, as I understand it, is fairly broker favorable, right? It takes a very careful view not to expand a broker's liability to any number of additional insureds, right? And there are all kinds of good reasons why um, you know, brokers should have that protection. But am I in a jurisdiction where I can make an argument that the broker actually has made a representation that imposes a duty, right, on that producer in favor of the certificate holder. So I would want to be able to argue that perhaps the producer has violated their, um, you know, it's an errors and omissions argument. Did they violate a duty that they owed to me as certificate holder? And then I think, you know, if those things um, don't come to pass, at the very least, I would consider whether that broker's statement, right, and this goes back to my point about wanting um, extreme specificity in the certificate. Can I make an argument that in drafting and issuing this certificate of liability insurance that the producer, producer made either a negligent or an intentional misrepresentation? Um, because despite the fact that a certificate says it's for information only, right, the more information a producer puts in this certificate with a reference to me as the certificate holder, right, there is an understanding in the industry that I am going to rely upon the information. Um, and, you know, I, I would look to probably this, what, what obligations the state's insurance office imposes on producers, right? Um, you know, in a lot of states, these producers are limited in, you know, they're held to the obligation of not putting inaccurate information in a certificate, um, as you might expect. So, you know, can I use those types of limitations and arguments to suggest that the producer um, negligently or intentionally misrepresented? So the general contractor might have a viable lawsuit against the broker, but that still does not get the contractor the insurance against the bodily injury or property damage claim that he thought he was getting. Is the contractor out of luck? Is the certificate he received really worthless? Maybe not. Remember when I said that the policy's additional insured endorsements create coverage, not the certificates of insurance? and that the additional insured endorsements do not give effect to certificates of insurance? I know, this isn't a memory test, but I said both of those things. But those two things are not always the case. There are some additional insured endorsements running out there in the wild that contractors and subcontractors can buy that will give effect to the additional insured status referenced on a certificate of insurance. These additional insured endorsements will honor the certificate if the named insured also had an oral agreement with the other person or business to make that other person or business an additional insured. Like anything else, check the policy and see what the endorsement says. Of course, a general contractor may not always hit the jackpot like that and learn later that the policy has one of these generous endorsements honoring certificates of insurance. In fact, most of the time, the contractor will have no such luck. Most additional insured endorsements on liability policies 
are not designed to give effect to certificates of insurance. But where there's a will, there's a way. After all, this is America. What difference does a little intent of the parties matter among friends, especially when policyholder-friendly courts are concerned? I'll give you an example. In the New York case, Superior Ice Rink, Inc. v. Nescon Contracting Corp., the named insured Nescon contracted with Superior to paint the roof of Superior's facility. Superior's manager and Nescon's principal orally agreed that in order for Nescon to perform any work, Nescon had to name Superior as an additional insured under an insurance policy issued to Nescon. And in fact, Nescon's insurance broker issued a certificate of insurance to Superior that showed that Superior was an additional insured on Nescon's liability policy. You probably see where this is going. Superior, unfortunately, was actually not added as an additional insured on Nescon's policy, which became something of a problem when two of Nescon's workers became injured while painting Superior's roof and eventually filed bodily injury actions against Superior. Nescon's policy had an endorsement that made any other organization an additional insured for certain purposes if Nescon was required by a, quote, written contract, agreement, or permit, end quote, to name that organization as an insured. Written contract, agreement, or permit. The problem here is Nescon and Superior did not have a written contract to make Superior an additional insured, just an oral agreement to do that. So, Superior loses, right? Wrong. The insurance company argued that the word written in the phrase written contract agreement or permit modified the words contract, agreement, and permit. In the insurer's view, Superior was not an additional insured because Nescon was not required by a written contract, written agreement, or written permit to name Superior as an insured under Nescon's policy. The appellate division of the Supreme Court of the State of New York, however, disagreed with that reading of the endorsement and instead said that the word written could reasonably be interpreted to modify only the word contract in that phrase, not agreement or permit. If the word written modified the word contract only and not the word agreement in that phrase, then an oral agreement would suffice. Because Nescon and Superior did have an oral agreement to make Superior an additional insured, as evidenced by that certificate of insurance issued to Superior, the New York court held that Superior qualified as an additional insured under the policy's endorsement. This is the kind of case that when I explain it to my non-lawyer friends, they look at me and say, this is what you do for a living? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. By the way, if you're interested, the citation for this Superior Ice Rink case is 52 AD 3rd 688. So, even if the policy language in the additional insured endorsement appears not to give effect to the information listed on a certificate of insurance, there is still a chance that a court might see it otherwise. Okay, let's say your policy does not have an additional insured endorsement giving effect to a certificate of insurance and your court just won't bend over backwards to interpret the endorsements that are there on the policy in a way that does. Game over, right? 
I have a feeling that Aline may have one more trick up her sleeve. The first thing I would do is I would start looking at, you know, who's the producer and who is the producer vis-a-vis the carrier? Um, You know, one of the things that I would love to see in a situation like that is, do I have a captive producer, right? Is the producer actually an employee of the insurance company? Because if they are, right, then might we make an argument that an agent of the insurer issued this certificate of insurance, you know, and might we be able to argue that there's some kind of a representation there? Does that idea sound a little far out there for you? I know some of my friends in the insurance industry on the carrier side are probably pulling out their hair, or if you're like me, what's left of my hair. But if it does seem a little wacky, maybe you should consider the Washington Supreme Court's decision in T-Mobile USA Inc. versus Selective Insurance. You can find that at 450 P. 3rd 150. In that matter, the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit certified, pun not intended, but I wish I had, a question to the Washington Supreme Court to ask that court as to whether an insurance company is bound by its agent's written representation made in a certificate of insurance that a particular corporation is an additional insured under a given policy. This was a case where a broker had issued a certificate that incorrectly stated that T-Mobile was included as an additional insured on one of its contractors' insurance policies when, in fact, it was not. The Washington Supreme Court, shockingly, in my view, said yes. The insurer is bound by the representations in the certificate. Now, before we get too carried away, it is very important to note that the Ninth Circuit already had found that the agent in question had acted with apparent authority on behalf of the insurance company. It's very, very fact-specific, so this decision certainly will not apply to all insurance brokers. But nevertheless, what about all those disclaimers on the certificate saying that it does not create coverage? The court basically swatted those disclaimers aside with a rule of textual interpretation that the specific prevails over the general. Here's how the Washington court explained it. Quote, The pre-printed disclaimers are general in nature. They purport to disclaim virtually every bit of information provided by the certificate. By contrast, the additional insured statement that the agent wrote in specifically refers to certain areas of policy coverage and makes a discrete representation that T-Mobile USA Inc., its subsidiaries and affiliates, is included as an additional insured. This specific written-in additional insured statement thus prevails over the pre-printed general disclaimers. That conclusion respects the specific purpose for which the certificate was issued to inform T-Mobile USA, its subsidiaries, and its affiliates that they are additional insureds under the policy. Giving effect to the disclaimers, by contrast, would render issuance of the certificate and the specific representation within it pointless. So, what do you think? Are certificates of insurance worthless, pointless, and not worth the paper they are written on? 
Like my partner, Aline Tiffany, explained, certificates do serve important purposes. For the most part, though, they do not effectively create coverage. Nonetheless, people rely on them every day. And for that reason, some courts may be inclined to stretch policy language or legal doctrines to find coverage. The cases I discussed in this episode are not majority rules. Far from it. They are distinct minority positions. However, they do show the tension between what people think that certificates of insurance accomplish and what those certificates actually do. And every once in a while, that tension between expectation and reality carries over in unexpected ways to create findings of coverage. Like everything else, check your policy and your jurisdiction. As Mark Twain once said, climate is what we expect, weather is what we get. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to Michael's Insurance Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about me and my insurance coverage and bad faith practice in St. Louis, just check me out at michaelyoungstl.com. That's right. I somehow snagged the rights to that one. michaelyoungstl.com. You can find my contact info, LinkedIn, articles, you know, presentations I have coming up. Probably I'll post my eBay listings on there. You know, don't knock it. A lot of good stuff. MichaelYoungSTL.com, and also, uh, if you could leave a positive review or subscribe to this podcast as well, it would just mean the world to me. It really would. Thanks so much for listening.